Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 35. I'm Kyle, a member of Christ Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Eden Prairie. We begin today with Moments with the Master with Pastor Aaron Nitz. The portion of God's Word that we're going to take a look at today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It reads, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Picture the Grand Canyon. Massive rock, massive expanse between rocks, 18 miles wide at its widest. Imagine you had to jump across it. How would you feel? Frightened? Lost? Desperate? Scared? Well, this week we've been enjoying Vacation Bible School at our church, and and we've been going with the theme road trip, and it's been, and we've gone to the Grand Canyon. There exists a massive canyon between us and God. God is holy. He's perfect. He's awesome and powerful. But we, on the other hand, are not. We complain. We think evil thoughts. We do things we shouldn't, and we say things we shouldn't. Yes, there exists a massive, impassable canyon of sin between us and our God. But God didn't want it to remain that way. So, he sent his own son, Jesus, who was lifted up on a cross, taking upon himself all of your sins, paying for them in full, and bridging the gap between you and your God. God promises that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Now that's an awesome sight to see and behold. I'm sure marveling at the awesome love of my God, and so are you. God's blessings on your day. Next, Tom Barthel shares the Canaan-bound devotion. Entertaining Strangers, Genesis 18:1-8. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of fine flour and knead it, and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to a servant, who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk, and the calf that had been prepared, and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Did Abraham recognize that these three men were not ordinary strangers? He had spoken with the Lord before on numerous occasions, but there's nothing here to indicate that he was acting out of the ordinary. He bows in respect, not necessarily worship, and he uses a term which isn't necessarily divine, Lord, which the NIV properly renders with lower case. He received three mysterious visitors just as he would any other guest. 
The writer to the Hebrews reminds us how important it is for us to follow and join this kind of love. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 Abraham will soon discover, if he didn't know it by now, that these three men were angels, and one of them was the angel of the Lord, whom we know as the Lord himself appearing in the visible form as he did throughout history. Angels are spiritual beings, but in order to interact with us, they sometimes take on a visible form. Sometimes that visible form is in glory and drives men to fear. At other times it's a veiled form. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us that they can be ordinary persons who helps you on the way or who received help from you as you extended a gesture to them. He may very well have been referring to Abraham when he says some didn't even know it when they offered help to spiritual beings. God, too, is spirit. This took place 2,000 years before the Son of God took on human flesh and was born to live, suffer, die, and rise to live again as our Savior. But in some way, he makes his present visible so that he can have a conversation with Abraham in a very intimate and personal way. Think of all the times you passed by someone who needed help. What about that person who you only met for a short time, but failed to offer your time as best you could? We are often shown to be self-centered beings. But God was not so selfless that he did actually appear, and in the lowliest form. Far greater than some stranger or even some angel who appears to help us when our car breaks down or when we are in need of physical rescue. Jesus did far more. Jesus came to serve by rescuing us from all spiritual harm and danger. He was that man dying on the cross in true human flesh. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for us all. Is there any stranger you can serve today? Remember how God has served you with his own life. Abraham's heart flows with a heart of service and love because he knows the promise and love of his gracious God. You know his love. In order that that promise made to Abraham might be fulfilled, he came to speak to Abraham. In order that you might know and share in that Abraham's heart of faith, he came and still comes with his word to speak to you. We are, after all, strangers on this earth. And we will soon be his guest. We look forward to being welcomed to his wonderful place of rest. And now we are glad to introduce our first featured song by the artist Stephen Bautista. The song is The Most Beautiful Thing and is from his album Abandon. Be sure to visit stephenbautistamusic.com or find a link on the Canaanbound podcast website to discover more of Stephen's music. up before them And oh so many ways the beauty of life has shined on my face 
that surpasses by far the beauty I've seen, the most beautiful thing I know is the cross with the Savior who died for us all and the blood that flowed from his hands and feet and the wounds he bore so that we'd be I've stood on the edge of a grand precipice Overwhelmed by the span of creation Then sat teary-eyed while the sun paints the sky As it settles beyond the horizon And I'm still so amazed At the beauty that life Has shined on my face But one thing stands alone Unrivaled and incomparable The most beautiful Savior who died for us all and the blood that flowed from his hands and feet and the wounds he bore so that we'd be redeemed. This is the most beautiful Next, we have Freedom in Christ with Pastor Mark Falk. Hypocrisy When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, 
because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Galatians 2, 11-14, NIV 1984. Hard to imagine. The last of the apostles, born out of his time, comes into sharp conflict with Peter, one of Jesus' closest human friends. Peter, the rock. Peter, who was there with Jesus at the most intimate and important times, when only three disciples, Peter, James, and John, were given access to the goings-on. But Peter falls into a serious and faith-threatening sin. Hypocrisy. We should all be very careful in leveling this charge of hypocrisy against Christian brothers and sisters. What the world sees and labels as hypocrisy in the saints on earth is often the sad fact that our human sinful flesh, our old man, our sinful nature, clings to us even after God the Holy Spirit has declared us holy by faith in the blood of the Holy Son of God. Even after this same Holy Spirit has, perhaps for many years, carried on his sanctifying work in our hearts, mouths, and lives. He works to sanctify, set us apart from the sinful world. He works tirelessly through the word and sacrament to make us what God has declared us, saints, holy, set apart for God. Falling into sin or reliving an old sin may not be hypocrisy at all, but simply evidence that the battle for holiness must still go on in us, God's righteous saints, until we enter the joys of heaven. But there is such a thing as hypocrisy, and Paul calls Peter out for this grave sin. Peter had been shown by the episode with the Gentile Cornelius that the Old Testament laws that separated God's people from Gentiles, not to mention all the additions made by rabbis over the years, were now defunct. The Messiah had come. The wall of separation had kept the promise alive for the time when the promise to Abraham that Jesus would be a blessing for all peoples of the world was fulfilled. Peter grew to understand that not only could he rub elbows with Gentiles, he could indeed, for the sake of the gospel, he should eat and fellowship freely with them. It must have been quite a shock, that first bite of pork or shellfish, Perhaps Peter's stomach turned the first time he ate such food. Peter learned that this was a new age. But this remained an issue among the Jews who rejected Jesus, and evil troubled those who came to believe in him. Many continued to eat kosher. Eating kosher would have been no problem, except that in the episode Paul describes, Peter suddenly changed his behavior. He did it out of fear. Fear of those he thought might criticize his newfound freedom. Not only did he change his diet, he stopped sitting with Gentile believers. Suddenly the sitting chart read, Jews here, Gentiles over there. Now Jewish Christians had every right to observe the diet that they had grown up with, but they had no right to make the Gentile Christians at Antioch feel like second-rate citizens in the kingdom, or worse, no citizens at all. Paul addresses this publicly and firmly. 
the faith of the Gentiles, their very salvation, was at stake. For the Bible makes it clear that in the New Testament, faith is not about food or drink or circumcision or celebrating holy days and festivals. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. This is the truth that Peter's hypocrisy, for he knew full well that he was free to eat and sit with his Gentile friends, called into question. This is the truth for which every Christian must put his very life on the line. Now we join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 10, verses 8 to 17. Your hands shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. The... Just because he mentions cheese, it made me think the earliest reference to cheese of any kind in the Bible is in Genesis, when Abraham lays out curds with milk and a butchered calf during a visit from God and two angels, just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. The invention of cheese probably goes back into oh, antediluvian times before the flood. A recent opinion I've heard within a culinary, if not a scholarly context, is that somebody in ancient times could have been transporting milk in a commonly used container, the stomach of either a calf or a sheep, and left it in for a day or two too many, because stomachs like that contain uh, an, an, the enzyme that turns milk into cheese. Uh, another early reference to cheese occurs in a song sung by Moses in Deuteronomy 32. But Moses lived many centuries after the days of Abraham and Job, Job uses the transformation of cheese as a picture of what happens in the womb as a baby grows. The womb was a mystery then. You hear that in Ecclesiastes 11, but in many ways it still is to us. Job compares our creation to a potter working with clay. Maybe Isaiah was thinking of this passage in Job when he said to the Lord, we are the clay, you are the potter in Isaiah 64. A third image of the way God makes us is the word knit, literally to weave or to interlace. Now that Hebrew root, sakak, is the same word used in the psalm, Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. This isn't the word used of knitting with wool, which is Arab in Leviticus 30, uh, 13.48 and, and through the rest of that chapter in Leviticus. This word is more of the kind of weaving or knitting one would do to make a basket of sticks or reeds. Job knows that God has very carefully and elegantly crafted mankind. And each of us is a masterpiece of God's creative artwork. His question is, why would God appear to despise his wonderful creation? Let's read verses 13 to 17. But this is what you concealed in your heart. And I know that this was in your mind. If I sinned, you would be watching me and would not let my offense go unpunished. If I'm guilty, woe to me. Even if I'm innocent, I can't lift up my head. For I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. If I hold my head high, you stalk me like a lion. And again, display your awesome power against me. You bring me new witnesses against me. 
or rather you bring new witnesses against me and increase your anger toward me. Your forces come against me wave upon wave. Now we know the answer to God's question, but it eludes Job. Why would God despise and punish his carefully crafted creation, his servant Job? In fact, God doesn't despise Job at all, nor does God despise any of us. He loves us, and he wants us to turn to him. When a parent makes a child turn off the TV to do his homework, the child wonders why he's been being picked on. But the parent does it for the child's good and because she loves her child. God turns us to him for our own good because he loves us, not because he wants to punish us, but to keep us from eternal punishment. If Job is drowned in his affliction now, it's to turn him faithfully to his Lord, to keep him from drowning eternally in hell. Job knows that God will not let his offense, his sin, go unpunished. That's not Job's imagination. God is clear that he will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. That's Nahum 1.3 and Numbers 14.18. Job's troubles and his guilt will cause him to look to his Lord for rescue, and God is the only way for the rescue of our souls. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, is the one who rescues us from the coming wrath, as Paul told the Thessalonians. He is the true help for our physical as well as our spiritual lives. We trust in him for everything we need. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. We end today with a song by Chris Dreisbach, Why Don't You Come? Well, people always asking, what is life and who am I? Big questions like, what is truth, what really happens when I die? Celebrate the questions and the answers too. I got a little question of my own to ask of you. And I really want to know why don't you come? Why don't you come? Yeah, we're celebrating life and we're singing about you. Everything else is something worse to do Compared with Christian freedom and love too I'm coming, why don't you? Why don't you? So many things we do are just a waste of time Worried about this, fearful about that Anger about my place in line running here and there, never get through. You might be someone wasting all your precious time too. I got a better idea for you. Jesus won for us does not depend on anything. 
You've been listening to episode 35 of Canaan Bound Podcast. This podcast was first shared in August of 2013. Thanks again to the musicians who shared their music with us this week. You can find links to more of their music at CanaanBoundPodcast.com when you click on support. Once again, my name is Kyle, and it was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit Wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thanks for listening. May God bless your week.